text. All right, let's go. Oh, I feel like I should hug you. Okay. Um, praise the Lord. Oh, man. Uh, we better pray. Uh, I'm praying for all of us. Myself. Okay, Father, uh, Lord, I pray that you would just be here in our midst, even as we tackle uh, this topic. Uh, maybe be led by you and guided by you, not our will, but yours. So we commit everything today in your hands, in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, you know, today in um, pre-service prayer, it was so, so cool. So I, Ruth did this thing, which was so good. Like, uh, she got the kids' team to pray for the main service, and then the adult, an adult, to pray for the kids' service, right? And so we picked uh, one of our youth volunteers uh, in the kids, and she prayed. And I said, oh, you know, like, don't worry, you can handle the prayer. It's, uh, don't worry, we're just covering sex today, so we're, we're good. It won't be awkward at all praying for the service. And she goes, okay, great. And she begins a prayer. Dear God, please help the main service as they learn how babies are made. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my goodness, I need to change my slides <laughs> for today. Uh, so it's okay. We're not going to be covering how babies are made. That will be... Another session some other time. Um, but, but I fully, fully, okay, I get it, right? I fully recognize that this is going to be an awkward chat. I mean, my dad's in the place, my uncle's here, my cousins come down from Sydney, hello, Chara, you know. Um, but it is so important for us to have this talk about sex, not because, and I think it's not just because that we are oftentimes misunderstood. Christians are mis often misunderstood uh, in this view of sex. Um, but I think if we don't talk about it from God's view, if we're not going to spend any time in church at all talking about it, um, then who's going to talk about it? We're just going to end up hearing um, about it from many other sources that don't have God's interest or God's heart um, in mind. And I've discovered in discipleship, whether you are raising a family, whether you are uh, discipling one another in a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship, or you're in a husband and wife relationship, in discipleship, you are just going to have to be the kind of courageous person who tackles awkward, difficult topics. Otherwise, all of life will go through and you will assume that people know things, but you've never, ever discussed it. And I, uh, I came right up front with that when I was youth pastor here at the church. And we would talk to um, uh, young people or we would do marriage counseling and zero out of 100%, 0%, I would ask, Hey, have your parents ever had a chat with you, you know, Christian parents, and about sex? Zero. That is how awkward, and that is how, that was from my history here in this church when I was a youth pastor. So I know that in our midst, largely, it's just not that much talked about. It's not the conversation you come home from school and, hey, mom and dad want to have a quick chat with you. Just, uh, can we just talk about sex today? You know, like, it's not. It doesn't happen. So we're all going to suffer. Trust me, I'm suffering as well, right? And we're all going to just um, 
have a conversation about sex. Um, actually, this series um, has come about because um, uh, questions have been uh, submitted in, and we have a winning question uh, from last week, and, and this was the question. Scott actually answered it in um, the Q&A after the service, but I thought I'd, I'd highlight it today since it's sort of related. It's a question submitted um, from our congregation. The anonymous person who we know um, is getting a prize. Um, but here's the question. How can I respond when I'm asked, Christianity takes all the natural tendencies of people, such as sex, and then calls them sin to maintain a monopoly control over people? All right? That's, uh, that was a question that was submitted. In. Um, so let's just begin. You know, if you're listening to this sermon, uh, whether you're recorded, somebody doesn't want to, maybe your parent, you're listening to the sermon, your parent has forwarded you this message because they don't want to have the sex talk with you. And so, like, let's begin with, I don't know what context you're coming from. Because there is a wide variety of history, experiences, and context that you may be coming from listening to the sermon. And, oh my goodness, there are probably a thousand landmines that could be stepped on. So it's important, I think, at the start, to explain um, our current situation and, and begin with some context for this conversation. The first thing we need to understand, so if I can just describe today's current situation regarding your sex life, all right? We are so far away from the church imposing its rules and its views on people. As far as I know, we're not in Sharia law. There is no like, oh my goodness. There, right now, people all across Melbourne and Australia can pretty much within the legal bounds, not the church's biblical bounds, the legal bounds can pretty much do whatever you want. Right? So we're not, when we're having this conversation and I talk about what the Bible stands for and what the Bible's view is, that is with an intent of how we are going to live our lives as we follow after God. Not as an intent for us to go around and go, oh my goodness, you, you should do this, you should do that. And, and we're not, we are right now living in a day and age where we're not actually even controlling other people's sex lives. And I would put it to you almost as far as we're not even doing that in the church. Oh my goodness, I, I don't think I could even pull that off. You know, like... Um, within even the church. So our hope is that it's God who speaks today, that our, our hope is that we, when we look at this topic, it is something that transforms inside of us first, in our relationships first, whether it's a future relationship, whether it's a present relationship, it changes in us from the inside out how we form our ethics, how we form our morality, how we form how we're going to live our lives, and then the fruit is the witness. The fruit is the testimony so that people can taste and see that God is good. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's really obvious that people are just going to do whatever they want to do, right? And it's a good thing. I think that the Bible has so many examples, especially in the Old Testament, so many examples of kings and rulers because kings and rulers in those days could pretty much do whatever they wanted. Great. We, in many senses of the word, live like kings today. 
We have access to all this choice. We can, we can watch all kinds of TV shows, all kinds of music. We can eat any kind of food. We can travel around the world. We can do all these things. We have a lot of power nowadays. That's what Scott was talking about last week. The power of the image of God, right? So I would recommend that you go back and um, hear Scott's session because it was actually very foundational um, in, in forming a Christian ethical framework. But we have to understand that we are very similar to royalty in the Old Testament. And so you could, just as they had many women, just as they did a whole range of things. You can read the Old Testament, it's quite explicit, right? We now can do those things. There is no forcing of stuff. Now, the, the thing that we can't choose, though, is consequences that occur. And similar, similarly, the kings of old could not choose these consequences. And we have the advantage of the Old Testament of a range of different kinds of living and how that plays out in their real life. That's why I like the Bible. It's not a fairy tale. Right? We're not talking about uh, an elephant. Uh, we're not talking about a mystic place. We're not, we are talking about actual people who lived in history and these uh, historical fathers and, and families um, actually lived and these things actually happened. Um, so let's begin and be realistic. I'm, I'm hope, I'm, I'm, I don't know if I'm actually going to be able today to explain or say something super fancy or make sex sound so hip and cool. You know, Christian sex is oh, amazingly hip and cool. I don't think I'm going to be able to say something that's going to really, in and of itself, change your sex life or your sexuality. Right? Honestly, I, I, I doubt even if I would, we were to get a sex expert here because people call experts in all the time. People don't read articles of some expert and go, oh my goodness, I'm going to transform um, uh, my sex life on, on, on one message. We are bombarded with millions of messages of today's world's culture. We've got um, so much of our friends and community and the culture around that forms our view around uh, sexuality. Um, so the goal, I think, today is going to be let's allow the Holy Spirit to speak and if I could just put that as, a, as an overriding thing, because that's actually really crucial. If you want to allow God to transform your sex life and your view of sexuality, making space for the Holy Spirit to speak. That means, as I go and do this, what does the Holy Spirit think? Oh my goodness, that's going to solve 90% of your sexual ethics issues right there and then, right? And if today you would allow the Holy Spirit to go, Okay, okay, I hear Chris. He's yabbering on about something. Okay, I see all these things. But if you would allow the Holy Spirit here at church, that small, still voice to go, hey, what does the Holy to allow yourself to hear that voice and ask, what would the Holy Spirit speak to me today about my sex life? What actually needs it will not be persuasive words it will not be arguments but it would be the prompting of god that is the orientation of any christian journey in the exploration of this difficult topic because sure today we will be talking about healthy sex and love lives that make it all the way to the end of your life and that create a foundation for healthy stable families but the most important thing about what we're going to discuss today is that our sex life, our marriage, and our love relationships 
actually reflect Christ. That's why I think a Christian conversation about sexuality is like two different worlds. Two different worlds when you're talking between a Christian and somebody else who's just not a Christian, but asking, why do Christians do this? What's happening? Because the goal is completely different. Our whole bodies and our Christian lives and our relationships are to glorify God. They're all part of how we're going to image Christ. I'm going to image Christ as I love my wife. She's going to image Christ as she loves me. And we're going to, first and foremost, live in submission to that. Right? And then anybody else who asks that question who's not a Christian, that's not their goal. What is the hottest thing? What is the coolest thing? Or how is it going to enrich my life? How does, like, oh my goodness. They may be some of the byproducts of a Christian view on sex, but it's not the goal, all right? So we need to really begin. I think I need to uh, begin by saying that Christian values and Christian ethics on sex aren't the solution. They're not the solution. We are not going to save Australia. We're not going to save our friends by getting them to... Just do Christian principles. That's not it. The goal is not, how do I raise my children so they don't sleep with anybody else? And then they raise, even if they're far away from God, as long as they, 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 they keep those Christian ethics, we're fine. No, you're not fine. Without Jesus Christ at the center of every single thing that you do, without Jesus as your Lord, without us being formed more in the image of Christ, you're missing the essential key to salvation. And sometimes that gets lost in the trans. It just it gets lost. As us as well-meaning parents or as leaders in the church, whatever it is, we try to implement Christian ethics because it comes from, and I'll be going in to explain where it comes from and why we do it, but let's all be 100% clear. The, we need to be talking about it in two different worlds because the worldview, the Christian worldview of sex begins and ends with our response to God. That's, that's it. And so... If you are having difficult conversations and difficult sex conversations, I guess, I don't know why you would, but imagine if it happens, right? Like with non-Christian friends, I think primarily don't be so interested in fixing up their sex life to be just like an amazing Christian's one. Be more concerned that they meet God first and foremost, that they encounter God first and foremost, and then all these things, they change. And then all these things, they reform, okay? And what has happened sometimes in our legalistic Christian past, I think, is we've shortcutted the process in a lot of ways. And so uh, we need to sort of begin with that. Okay, so. Sex, oh, innuendo is going to be the in thing for slides today. Okay, great. Sex is pretty important. All right? Sex is pretty important. Um, this, I think, the world already knows. All right? I'm going to tell you three reasons why it's pretty important that, that everybody already knows. One, it's a multi-billion, if not multi-trillion dollar industry. It is driving so much. You cannot say that in our world today, sex is not significant. It's just, it's like nothing. 
oh my goodness, there are ads, there's cosmetics, there's music, there's so much. You, you sometimes can see sex. I studied consumer behavior in my uh, master's, right? I was seeing ads that use sex as the drive that have nothing to do, nothing related with sexuality at all, all right? Like, oh, peaches in a can. Apparently very sexy, you know? Like, it, because sex sells, right? Because it, it, it triggers something. It certainly has that significance. The second thing as well is you need to understand that sex is important because it's so closely linked with our identity that you can't have normal, non-emotional conversations about it because it's so linked to the person and and we only need to go as far as the plebiscite and as the same-sex marriage debate even to understand that when we talk about these things, we're actually talking about real people and things that are so close to who they are. So we have to be careful actually that we handle this not as an intellectual exercise of things that we read somewhere and just like that, but rather lovingly, pastorally, the way Jesus would, okay? Um, Three, the third reason is I think sex is so transformational in our lives. And I'm not making this up. Why do you think sex abuse pedophilia, rape, are amongst our most heinous, most disgusting, most penalized offenses as a society. It's because we all know that when you do something sexually, especially in the formative years, it affects, it's not just a physical act that just goes, like that you could fall down and hurt your leg or whatever it is, and then it's not the same because it affects affects who you are, how you, you love. It, it affects how you form relationships, how you're even going to parent, how you're going to interact with society. And so, oh my goodness, it's pretty important. Yet, if we look through a, a staple diet of church sermons and, and home group studies and whatever else it is, I think you'll find that it's not really often talked about, Right? Especially in church, and, and, and you can mistakenly go through Christianity and think that Christian life is possible to be lived and you don't even need to discuss sex. It's just something we don't talk about. But I want to put it to you that the Bible does not hold that view. The Bible actually doesn't stay silent about sex and sexuality. In fact, there's heaps of verses about sex and our sex lives. There's even one book out of 66 so maybe one out of every 66 sermons should be about sex, you know? Like, it, it's definitely weighted. It's not everything, but the Bible clearly talks about it. Um, so, uh, so, I know this is kind of weird, but uh, also another thing to establish up front is, you know, like, different people are different and therefore, they interact in a wide spectrum of ways, right? And so, there is going to be a wide spectrum of how we relate sexually, regardless of whatever you think, right? And so, what then, given that there is this spectrum, I guess, 
Um, what can the Bible, what can we say about sex and sexuality, right, um, that, that goes beyond just the, the pop culture, nice to say Christian things. And I'm hoping to take us a little bit deeper in that. So I'm hoping that we will talk more than just most, all of Australia would agree with these three Christian ethical values. Most. That means in your sex life, oh my goodness, do not harm anybody, right? So if you're going to conduct yourself um, as a Christian, but even if you're not a Christian, if you're living it right, oh my goodness, do not harm somebody else, right? Then a committed relationship is a, it's a value that's, that's held. Now maybe not all the way to, to, to the end of your life or whatever it is, but most certainly some level of committed relationships is a value held in Australia, in the culture. I think you'll find that all these three are values that are common ground. So what else can Christianity say besides this, right? And then respect, right? So that mutual respect one for the other, and in particular, given that we have grown up in a, in a very male-dominated, male-dominated history and world, respect for women, right? And, and that's where I feel Christianity and all of Australia we can broadly anyway, with the mature ones that want to live, you know, good ethical lives, we can kind of find this common ground. In fact, I think one of the reasons why there are these common ground things is because Christian ethics actually formed a lot of our Australian history and the laws that have come into place, okay? So, but I want to take us a little bit further than that because if today all we talked about was do no harm. Try to stay committed to whoever you're with and, and show some respect. Oh my goodness, we are missing what the Bible has to say about this. It, the picture is much better. The picture is much deeper. And so let's go into A, what is the picture that the Bible gives us about sex and sexuality? Just so that if you're like, You've got your awkward clock watching. Um, I think I'll go till about 10.40, uh, 11.40. Okay, so what is this picture? One, and I'm going to go through a whole bunch of Bible verses and we're going to talk it through, right? Because you, we uh, get our understanding from Scripture, all right? So one, as Scott explained last uh, week, which is basically the foundation of Christian ethics as well and how we are to live our lives. But we are the image of God. We are His image bearers here on this earth. We are His walking testimony. So we are the image of God and we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Genesis 1, 27. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. And then very quickly in that verse, very quickly, it goes to male and female. And the next verse, you, want, you can read it in 28, it goes, be fruitful and multiply. Basically, the image of God is very, very closely linked to our sexuality. And how we relate to one another is as images of God. That means with mutual respect, with, um, like Scott was explaining, that people are just not, we're not objects. So therefore, we have to think about our right and wrong and ethics carefully as bearers of the image of Christ. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 15 to 20, this would probably, if there was any 
anchor passage that you wanted to, to land on for today. This, I think, is a really good one. Um, do you not know? And so Paul here, he explains sort of the, the Christian understanding of our body, right? And, and, and things that we do with our body, I guess. Um, do you not know that your bodies are members? So when that says members, it, it, it doesn't mean like membership in a club. Me, parts. The, the actual Greek word means parts. So you, the way to think about it, do you know your bodies are like, like the arm or the leg or a part of the body of Christ, right? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or, or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? And then it explains, for as, as it is written, the two will become one flesh. And so you get a little bit of a picture. Now, I, I'm going to go into... I'm just going to keep rolling, and if you think I'm saying some really cliched, terribly archaic, prejudiced Christian stuff, suspend it for a moment, okay? Uh, and we'll get to it at the end. But I can't change the words of Scripture, right? And so in here is an admonition not to have sex with a prostitute because actually more than just a physical act, Something unites, all right? And so you're not to be one flesh with the prostitute. And then he goes, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So flee from sexual immorality. Every other, and now here we are, every other sin. So now we're talking about why is it that, that church talks about sexuality. We are, we are bothered at all about how we conduct our lives and what we do with our bodies. Why don't we just leave that part and, and deal with those other sins of lying and, I don't know, other stuff. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. And that's very crucial how that's worded because we're now about to find out what it means by his own body. Because is your body your body? Next verse. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have, that you have been given, that you steward, that you have been given from God. This body that you call your own. You are not your own. Oh my goodness. Now we're getting a, a glimpse of, of, of how a Christian views our own body and all these physical things that are uh, attached to our body, right? It goes, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. That's the goal. Glorify God in your body, right? Now, that's really hard to explain to somebody if they're not even going to glorify God <laughs> in any other part of their life. Right? So, let's just be really clear. I'm only having this conversation with people who actually want to glorify God in all parts of their life. And now they've decided, my body is also part of that. Right? That my body, God, come into my whole life. And then I'm now, I'm united. I'm one flesh with God. All of me belongs to God and it includes my body. It is now no longer mine. It's been bought with a price. I've been born again. Right? That is um, point one of a biblical view of sex. 
Okay? Two. Flourishing. All right? Seriously, sex was not invented to, to permeate suffering around the world. You know, it's like it was created for human flourishing. It really was. And, and I'm going to make the case that sex within the bounds of a committed relationship, uh, within the bounds of real intimacy, intimacy is what was always the goal. That actually the version of sex that gets pushed in the world is a cheap knockoff of what the full picture is that God wanted. God wanted sex, our bodies, to be an integrated, full part of every other part of our lives. So that as we share every part of our lives, we also share our physical parts of our lives. All right? Um, So, you know, let's go to some Song of Solomon verses, right? Like, it's code. I'll tell you now, it's all code. Um, And I'm not going to explain it, but you can go and Google stuff, I guess. Okay, so if you do not know, so this is is the lover talking to his woman, right? Um, And Song of Solomon gives us this flourishing picture of sex. That's why it's there. Right, so whatever view you think of uh, that Christians are supposed to be really prudish and and we're supposed to have like really boring, no variety, vanilla, chocolate tiao sex or whatever it is, right? Like, oh my goodness, no, (laughs) you know, like that's not it. That's not that's not the thing. Okay, so if you do not, oh man, this is such a weird sermon. Okay, if you do not know, oh most beautiful among women. Follow in the tracks of your flock, the pasture, your young goats beside the sheep's tent. I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots, and your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with a string of, beautiful, uh, of jewels. And so he's describing how enamored he is with this person that he's going to commit to. All right? Uh, and then you read on. Then, then the woman says, as an apple tree among... You see the flourishing language? It's like full of life and it's awesome. And as, as an apple among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among young men. And I like this. Scott actually brought this up last week. He said that the language that is used in Solomon is very exclusive. Among all the men, there's you. Among all the women, all the... Be- that's you. Because sex and love and marriage best flourishes when there are these in a covenantal environment. Covenantal enables it so that you're not having to prove yourself every single time. You don't have to keep living, like you can actually rest on the fact that you've promised each one to another. Okay? Um, so you see this language. With great delight, I sat in his shadow, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. And he brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Sustain me with raisins. Refresh me with apples. <laughs> I'm sick with love. His left hand under my head and his right hand embraces me. Right? So it's okay. Like... This is basically a picture that you would not see in porn. All right? This is a picture of commitment, love, flourishing, the, um, the, the intimacy between two people that is not 
that doesn't give that picture of here are my needs, this is what I want. Okay? So that is also in view. All right? Three, marriage always is in view in a biblical picture of sex. Okay? Why is that? Because the Bible talks about us as one flesh. One flesh. And um, we can read in Matthew 19, uh, 5 to 6. It says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. For they are no longer two, but one flesh. What God has joined together, let no man separate. And what you see here is this picture that actually sex is tied into a commitment for, uh, so it's related to the flesh, right? So there's that link into the physical link, because uh, the Bible speaks in code. Back in those days, they just speak in code, right? Um, but it's also then tied into this lifelong commitment. So you're leaving your other significant relationship, which is your parents, and you're starting a new family. This is not the stuff that the world um, associates sex with. It's not. What has happened, actually, which is why we're going to go to point four, which is the Bible has a holistic view of sex in that the, the word, the code word used for sex in the Bible is no. It's a good word, I think, because it, it relates that physical act of intimacy with, uh, sorry, that physical act with intimacy. That means you, you're so close. My most private things are shared with your most private. That our lives are intertwined. That, that you, are, you feel even close. And so that's how it's, it's meant to be done in committed relationship, right? And so it's this holistic view that's always in there. And Ephesians 5 um, the, the marriage passages give us this great picture of what that could be like. And it says, submitting one to another out of reverence for Christ. And you get this picture of marriage, which sometimes we get distorted. So, um, so hear me out for five minutes. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and he himself is its savior. Now the church submits to Christ, so wives should also, should submit in everything to their husbands. Right now, this is probably the most controversial part of, in today's culture, this is probably the most controversial part of that long passage. In their day though, so I want you to read it as an early church reader of this. When women could not vote, they could not own property, they were the property of the husbands, husbands could for no fault just say, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you, and you're done, right? Like, in that context, when Paul said these words, it would be just a given. It'd be something like saying, minors are under the care of their parents and they have to listen to them. It'd be, it's so, it was so norm in those days. I know it's really controversial now, but it was very normal in those days. So the whole point of Paul saying these words is actually what comes after. The real shocking thing, I know, I know we don't get it because it's so transformed society, right? But the real shocking thing at that time were the words that are going to come after this. And what he's trying to do 
the reason why he says the two is not to skew it one way or the other, actually. It's that first one, submitting one to another out of reverence for Christ. You see? So he has to say these two, but he's going to spend more time, as you will see, on the second one. And culturally, it was a bigger emphasis, this second part. But he doesn't just say the second part because it actually requires this mutual submission one to another. That's what's so brilliant about marriage. Okay? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the blood so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle, any such thing, that, he, that she might be holy without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife. You see how many, I've got two slides on this. There was only one short thing on the women. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh. He nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. We are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and become whole flesh. The reason why this is in my sex section is because it talks about the one flesh, right? Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, whole flesh to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. I'm saying it refers to the Christ and the church. Please, please do not use Christian ethics and Christian principles to perpetrate your own sexual abuse and your weird man controls everything view of the world and stuff. Like that, oh my goodness, is not the picture that you see in Scripture at all. It is not. And I am so conscious as pastors we go through, I have heard more than I can even bear of stories of, of, of sexual bullying, of all kinds of misconduct that occurs and coercion that takes place in homes and in families. And Scripture and Christian values and ethics are used to hide and mask it. I tell you, God provides you no protection. Because one day you're going to have to come up with God who gave you your very body, who you're going to account to who will have the power over your whole life for eternity to determine where that goes. And you're going to, have to, you're going to have to say, oh no, really, I was conducting myself as Christ loved the church. That's something you're going to have to answer, both men and women, in how we relate to one another. And so I think what is in view if you read this text carefully, is this mutual submission. That's how beautiful sex and beautiful love, marriage, relationships are supposed to work. That's why when we go to Scott's model that he discussed last week, he said, you know what, a good way to, to look at this, and, and, and we're going to use this model for next week as well in politics, but there are commands, there's character, and there's consequence, right? The three C's that he talked about. We are clear about the commands of God, okay? Okay. Um, about immorality and about sex and about marriage and things like that, right? And if you're unclear, we can talk a little bit about it later. Uh, you can come message me or whatever. Okay. Then, how we conduct ourselves in our sex life actually reflects who we are as people. It affects our character. Who are you becoming? The kind of person that would sleep with somebody and then disappear. The kind of, like, it affects who you're becoming. And I know that's not very popular to say now. Because people don't like to say, they don't like to associate behaviors 
with who they are. So you always sort of say, oh, you can talk bad about the behavior, but never say anything bad about the person. Uh, yeah, we can do that. But the person and the behavior are kind of linked. They're kind of linked, right? It, they're kind of. And so a person who consistently does stuff that hurts other people, does it, right? Become, your character, form, you, you're becoming a person who does those types of things. It affects you. So you want to think about how is my sex life and the things that I'm watching, the things that I'm indulging on, the things that I'm um, occupying my time with, how is that affecting who I'm becoming? That's a worthwhile Christian question. And then consequence. There is a hidden cost in adultery, in sleeping around, in porn. There is a hidden cost in sexual immorality. It is, you see that in Genesis. When we go through Genesis, these kings who could just do anything, you, know, like you got David, and, and his children want to kill him. Right? He, he, he falls for a, a woman, and then he ends up being the kind of guy who murders somebody out of lust. And so, and then you see the eventual, like, downturn of his whole walk with God and his ministry and the, oh my goodness, and Solomon goes down the same road. So, um, consequences are, are pretty clear in Scripture of how these things go. All right. So, let's get to a couple of difficult questions as we sort of wrap up in this series. One question, I didn't come up with it, but one question I get asked all the time, all the time. Like, when is a good time to have sex? Preferably not during the sermon. No, okay, no. Okay. When is, right? And so what you have to do is you need to ask, you need to ask, right? You need to ask, right? What is going to be the pinnacle of your relationship? Sex was designed, created. That's why it talks about the leaving and the cleaving and becoming that one flesh. And specifically flesh word is used. All right? So you're not like one corporate entity or you're not one legal entity or whatever. You're one flesh. All right? Why is that? And then the Bible uses no words. Right? Sex was supposed to be the consummation, the pinnacle of a committed, lifelong relationship. That's the picture, okay? Now, I get it. Like, if that's not the picture you have and that's not the picture you want, fine. Then it's something less for you. What are you going to then pick? So if, if, if your boyfriend or your girlfriend says to you, you know what, <sighs> we're pretty much like married, pretty much, because I love you so much, like the oceans or whatever it is, right? Like, oh, like, oh, we're pretty much married. Well, yeah, but you're not. There is something that they're then missing. There's some commitment that is still he or she is reluctant to give, right? There is some part that then you're, you're like, oh, I, I want to have that sex part, but I, there's uh, these other sections that I'm not, I'm not ready yet. I'm not, and so... What I find happens at a practical level, practical, because we counsel a lot of couples that, that have a view that sex before marriage is fine, okay? Like, that's their view. Um, then something else becomes that pinnacle. Ah, it's the giving of the room key. Oh, it's the fact that we're moving in together. But maybe it's not moving in together because we're already moving in together. It's the bearing of children, 
We are really, our, our relationship is a real relationship. We better get married now because, you know, it, we've got children. And so then that becomes the pinnacle. It's the thing that holds the, um, you know, like, or, or, or worse, I find sometimes um, people get married and the reason is other people's opinion. So it's not the, hey, I'm going to save sex for marriage. Uh, and, and, and so I, 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 I want to spend my whole life with you. I also want to sleep with you. I also want to like share everything with you and then let's get married, right? Sometimes what drives marriage is, oh my goodness, we've been dating for 20 years already, 15 years already, everyone's nagging me, whatever. Because you've already had sex, you're already living together, you've already had all these other, right? So there aren't any other sort of other big milestones. And then the question gets asked, well, what else, what else is missing in the full holistic unity? What else is missing? And then invariably marriage comes on and then people say, ah, that was the only thing that was missing. The, that, that signing, that, that piece of paper, whatever it is. That's the only thing that's missing, so let's just do it. The signing of it. That makes it so much less significant. That makes it so much less intimate. It really is quite a vastly different view. All right? So, number two. Let's talk about restoration because... I'm now conscious, I'm going to thank you, thank you for withholding judgment and for staying with me this whole time because I know that there is probably a stack load of you that are listening to this and you're thinking, oh my goodness, I've already had sex. Oh my goodness, what, what Chris is talking about is just one form of legalism that, oh, you know, like what, what the church wants is these, all these really super pure people and I don't know where they come from, like angels from heaven or whatever it is. And, and, and only those people can inherit the kingdom and I have got no hope whatsoever. And, but that's not the case. That is really not the case. All, every single one of us have fallen short, actually. All of us have fallen short. So you are actually able to go into your marriage, whether you've had sex together, whether you've been living together or not, whether we, right, you are actually able to go into God's planned marriage covenant because of the gospel. And I'm going to explain very quickly what the gospel is. It's that power. It begins kind of like this. Confess and acknowledge your sins. Repent and forsake your sin. Believe that Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead. Received Him as a risen Christ, as your Savior, and then confess that He is Lord. It is possible, regardless of whatever has happened before today, for you to go before God and say, what I am doing is wrong. What I have done needs to stop. It is, it is definitely possible. We are not talking. We are not. In the biblical view of Christianity, we are not talking about a zero mistakes life. We are not. And so please, please, um, I know we always have that tension that we have to balance because there are some kids that are growing up in here and we want the best for them, right? Like the, 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 my last slide is, it's so doable, right? Because... I know people, my, my wife and I, we, 
we know people, they just don't talk about it a lot. It is possible if you're growing up in a Christian environment to have a Christian view of marriage and then say between you and your girlfriend, your boyfriend, hey, we're going to have a holistic view of sex. We're going to have a marriage view of sex. We're going to have all these things and let's walk into that. That's possible. So at one level, we have to hold this tension because I want to explain to everybody that that's a good goal to shoot for. Because it affects your character if you sleep around a lot. It affects, there's consequences if, you're, right, if you have adultery and all these types of things. There, there's just consequences, right? So at one level, I want us to see that it's possible to shoot for that goal. And then, and then on another level, you need to understand that God's grace and the power of His gospel can actually take you that if you have had mistakes, that all of us have made mistakes in our life. Oh my goodness, all of us have made mistakes in our lives. It is so possible at any given day even for you to go to God to ask for forgiveness of sins. Please, please do not believe the Christian myth lie that you have to have some kind of perfect life in order to like walk into the church. You don't. You have to have an orientation that Jesus Christ is your Lord. He must be your Lord. And then you continually battle living that out. You go, I will make you my Lord today. I will work out my salvation. I will, Jesus, you are my Lord. I invite you, Holy Spirit, forgive us our sins this day of, like, you praying that Lord's Prayer, all right? Like, um, it is possible, it is doable, whether you are yet to go into a sexual relationship or you are in one and you feel like it's not where it needs to be. If you allow the Holy Spirit today to reform your view on sexuality, and, and I want to really challenge you. Um, your friends will tell you, a culture will tell you, nobody does these things. It's completely impossible. I tell you, it's really doable. Most of the time, it's just between you and your girlfriend and your boyfriend, or it's just you and your husband or your wife, and you just sit down and you go, hey, can we covenant together to have our bodies as a temple for the Holy Spirit? Can we covenant together to conduct ourselves in a way that the image of God would conduct itself and treat each other with respect and with love and submit one to another in the way that is described? It's possible. You can have that discussion right after, like today. It's even possible if you're single and you're growing up, it's possible for you to have a view and you go, you know what? I actually want to find a partner and I actually want a kind of relationship that's not what the world is selling. It's not what. I, 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 want, I want to look for somebody who shares these values with me. I'm not imposing it on anybody. There's not, I'm not like, you know, being lording it over. But for me, if I'm going to like, my most significant relationship in my life is going to be my marriage partner, right? It's going to be one of my most significant relationships. So in that relationship, I'm going to hold sex in an intimate, special place. I'm going to have a high view of it. A high view of it. Um, because actually, today's view of sex and sexuality, which pretty much divorces it away, it just it makes it a physical act. It's very low. It removes the emotions. It removes the soul ties. It removes the spiritual connection. It removes the lifelong commitment. It removes the for better or for worse. It removes the in sickness and in health. 
It removes the till death do we part. And I want to put it to you that once you strip out all of that, sex becomes very performance oriented. It just, it's, sex when it's tied with all those other things, you can be close with another person you know, even if you're sick, they still love you. Even if you're getting older, they still love you. And you still love them. And you know them and you're intimate more than just physically. You're intimate with them. That, that's the picture that's in view. And it all comes because of that package that begins with my whole life serves God. That's why it says, submit one to another as unto the Lord. So sexuality, our physical relations with one another in our spouse and in love and marriage, they're tied. They're tied into our walk with God, actually. And they're tied into how we live out our Christianity. Please, please do not divorce the two. Thinking and saying that we can do anything we want in our sex lives and still follow God. We can't. We are one all-connected person. All right, so I want to close in prayer, and we're not going to have an altar call, uh, but I do want to have a time. So all eyes shut, I want to give you an opportunity to commit your sex life, your sex thoughts, desires, your physical sex life even. Commit it to God. That means I'm going to give you an opportunity. It's a private prayer that you're going to pray yourself. Whether you have never even had sex before, whether you've, you've never even had a relationship before, or you're already in one. Maybe it's time even for you to transform the sexual relationship that you currently have. To make it more God-honoring. Whatever it is, I want to give you an opportunity now. If you, uh, I'm going to pray for you. So if you put your, your hand on yourself and, and you would, um, join me in this prayer and you pray with me in this. But it will be a commitment that you make. That basically we're going to say, God, take this. My body is for you. And take control of my sex life. Father God, we come to you as a church, your church, members of your body, members of Christ. And today, we want to commit afresh our bodies. We want to commit our, our, our sexual thoughts and desires, our sexual practices, our sexual relationships. We want to commit it to you today. Uh, we want to begin again. We confess right now all the things that we have done wrong. Help us to walk a new path and to carve a new journey. Lead us to green pastures, into a place of flourishing. We lift this into your hands. We need your help. In Holy Spirit, we invite you in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. Okay. <laughs>